Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3 about what the Old Testament tells us about heaven and how Cain embarked on a great experiment of life without God. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on the Friendship with God radio program, is a Jewish born-again Christian and founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism ministry reaching the most lost people group in the world, the Jewish people. Now, Tom Cantor has this radio program to edify you as the believer, but also to encourage you to reach lost Jewish people around you, your coworkers, your neighbors, maybe a family member, a friend, or maybe even a Jewish Israeli who's working in one of the malls during Christmas and Hanukkah time selling products at kiosks like curling irons and Dead Sea salts. Tom Cantor wants to help you to reach lost Jewish people that are around you, no matter where you are in the U.S. or around the world. And Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor are providing free gospel gifts to give to you, to give to them. And they're made available by your donations to this radio ministry. And we need your support to continue airing the Friendship with God radio program and reaching lost Jewish people. Now, the gifts are free if you have a lost Jewish friend. But if you want to support these free gifts and this Bible teaching radio program, call us at 800 247 3051 with a donation of any amount, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Or go online to donate at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us about what the Old Testament says about heaven and how Cain embarked in a life without God. It's continued all through history, even until now. And it's a stream of the blood of the martyrs. And it flows and it keeps flowing. And it was referred to in Matthew 23, verse 35, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, was speaking to those who were going to eventually murder him, he said that upon you may come, and here's the title that he gave it, all the righteous blood. He called it the righteous blood shed upon the earth. That was the title that he gave to the beginning of this stream that, started, that starts here in Genesis 4. The righteous blood shed upon the earth that God hears. He says, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. That was a stream that has been added to by the prophets, by Isaiah and the other prophets, that's been added to by Stephen, that's been added to by Jim Elliott, that's been added to by the John and Betty Stamm, the Chet Bitterman, and many, many others, most of whose names we don't know, but God does, and he hears the blood of each one. Now, also in this chapter, not only Abel the first martyr, but he's the first death, and he didn't exactly die of natural causes. You know, we could kind of picture ourselves standing over Abel, And asking the question, I told you that my friend the rabbi back east is a chaplain hospice and cancer ward, and the most frequently asked question that he gets is, Rabbi, please tell me what's going to happen to me after I die. So we're standing over Abel, and that's a very logical question. We could say, what happened to Abel? He's dead, lying there. Where is Abel? What happened? Well, if you like to turn to it, in Hebrews 12, 24 through 25, it says here, It speaks about Abel, and it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. So now, it's the blood of sprinkling. That speaketh, present tense, 
that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So we have the blood of the sprinkling of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not him who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Three are speaking here. We have the blood of the sprinkling is speaking. We have Abel is speaking. We have God is speaking. And it's in the present tense when it says speaketh. Now, look at Genesis 4.10. Genesis 4.10, back to Genesis. And it says there, what hast thou done? God said, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now, here the tense of the verb is very important. The verb crieth. It's also in the present tense. So Akim is in the present tense. It's not tsa'aku, which would have been in the past tense. It's in the present tense. So this verse is saying that the blood of Abel is crying. Well, Abel's dead, but the blood of Abel is crying. It's present tense. He doesn't say, when Abel died, as he was dying, I heard the blood, and I heard the blood back then, and it cried, past tense. He says, no, it's crying now. It's crying now. Well, where's the life of the flesh? It's in the blood. From Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So if the life of the flesh is in the blood, and the blood is present tense crying, that means Abel's alive. Otherwise, it would have been cried. Like your brother's blood cried unto me from the ground when your brother died. I heard the last words of his blood cried. But not what he says. He says, you killed your brother, but your brother's blood is still crying to me, and his life is in his blood. So we know, well, then we ask, well, how can Abel be heard? It's because Abel's still alive. Abel's still alive. Well, if he's still alive, where is he? Where is Abel? In Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw unto the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them that they should rest for a little while until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. See, Abel's under the altar with all those other martyrs. And Abel along with them with other martyrs has got one question they keep asking God. How long is it going to be before you avenge our blood? And Abel is being told along with all the other martyrs under there, here, here's some white robes. Put these white robes on. And you need to wait a little bit because the stream is still flowing of the martyr's blood and there are still going to be others' blood that's going to be added into that stream. The righteous blood shed on the earth. It's only going to be a little while. He's alive. And that's why it says his blood is speaking, present tense. Now, when you think about heaven in the Old Testament, because that's what we're talking about, you might say, well, heaven in the Old Testament, that's just not clear. That's not murky. I mean, I don't read in the heaven, I don't read about heaven in the Old Testament about the mansion of God and the presence of God and the crystal river of life and the tree of life and the streets of gold. I don't read that. So maybe it's just not clear. It's crystal clear. It's crystal clear, but it's in a different way than what we're used to. It's very, very clear. Now, look, for example, well, consider you all know this, the last verse in Psalm 23. I shall dwell, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So heaven is called the house of the Lord. That's where God lives, in his house. Now look at at, uh, Psalm 91.1, very familiar. 
uh, verse, which you're familiar with, that's really talking about heaven. When it says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So what's heaven called here? It's called the secret place. That's what it's called. It's called the secret place, the Basator. A secret hiding place, a place where you put something valuable. And that's what it's called here, the secret place of the Most High. And the shadow, in the, in the shadow, in other words, in the presence of God, in the protection of God, that's heaven. Psalm 31:20, similar words. Thou shalt hide them, same word, the Seder. Thou shalt hide them in the secret, same word. In the secret, it says, of thy presence, which is the word face. The secret of the face, the presence, the face of God, from the pride of man, thou shalt keep them secretly. See all these words? Secret, secret, secret. Secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on the Friendship with God radio program in just a moment. We want to remind you that all of Tom Cantor's messages on Friendship with God are free by going to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Also available on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. And it's all made available free because of your support to the Friendship with God radio program, which allows us to stay broadcasting on this station in this city. And we need your support, whether one-time or monthly donation, to continue airing this Bible teaching radio program, this Old Testament teaching radio program. We want to encourage you to continue to support or start supporting the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor. And you can do so by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Any donation of $10 or more, and we'll send you two great resources from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. You know, we collaborated and got to know a friend, Dr. Chaim Sheraton, and he's the director of nephrology over at New York Queens Hospital. So if you ever end up in New York Queens Hospital and you got a kidney problem, ask for Dr. Sheraton. Anyway, one night at dinner, he told me his story. And it was interesting because he said that, you know, during the Holocaust, he's from Poland, and he was six years old when the Nazis came into his town. And his father, his mother, and him, they went to go desperate to hide. And so a Catholic, a dear Catholic family, took Chaim and his mother, who's going to take those two, into their barn, and another family took his father into their barn. It was very dangerous at that time for Polish people to hide Jewish people, because what would happen is that, as did happen in the case of the family that was hiding the father, the Nazis would arrive, and they would say, now, if you're hiding any Jews, give them up now, because we're going to search, and if we find them, we'll shoot you right on the spot. And so they gave up his father, and he was shot right on the spot. But this family that his mother and he were hiding with didn't do that. And every day the family was keeping Chaim and his mother, they would carry secretly, hiding, because they were being watched, they were carrying food into the barn, because there's no reason to carry food into a barn, unless you're hiding somebody in there. And they would carry food in there. It's very, very dangerous. Where were they in the barn? Chaim and his mother were under the ground, in the barn there, it wasn't like there was a big basement. They just had dug out this area and put some old planks of wood on it and hay on the top. And that's where he was with his mother for three years. 
<laughs> under, the, under there. And one day, a group of Nazis came to the barn, and the officer told his men that he'd go search the barn. And he came into the barn alone, the officer did, with his Luger, and he pulled up the planks of wood, and he saw Chaim and his mother down there shaking with fear, and he put the planks back, and he yelled to his men, there's no one in the barn. And he went on, so they were saved. Now, they were kept in this secret hiding place. See, That's the meaning of the words when it talks about heaven being in the secret place of the Most High, or what we saw before. It's a place where you keep a treasure, but it's a secret place. It's a hiding place. And that's the same word that Jonathan used to tell David in 1 Samuel 19.2 when David was in danger of being killed by Jonathan's father Saul. And Jonathan said to him, Abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And then Jonathan found out what the intentions of his father were. But that's it. It's a secret place. That's the description. It's a secret place, what's called of thy presence, literally in the face of God. It's in the face of God. It's a place where the face of God is. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in Matthew 18, 10, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of the Father of my Father, which is in heaven, the face of God. He says it's a pavilion. That word comes from Genesis 31, 17, when Jacob was coming after Esau, and it says, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built him a house and made booths, and that's the word Sukkot, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. Sukkot, plural Sukkah, uh, singular, it's booths, it's booths that he built to protect his cattle from the blazing sun in the desert there. That's the word that's described heaven for us. He says the pavilion is the word that's used in the King James, the pavilion. Now, we come to verse 13, and we see here that Cain has a great concern, and his concern is not the same as David's concern. Oh, I'm so concerned, David said, because against thee and thee only have I sinned, and what am I going to do? It wasn't the concern of Joseph at the prospect of sinning against God when uh, Potiphar's wife propositioned him and grabbed a hold of his jacket, and he runs out of the house and leaves his jacket behind, and he's screaming, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There wasn't the concern that he had at all. But what concern he had was about how hard his punishment was going to be. He said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. That's all he was concerned about. And my punishment is greater than I can bear. And so once he gets his punishment bearable, he's out of there. And that's verse 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Now Cain establishes, and this is what we're going to see, a line, and you can call this the seed of Cain, the seed of the devil. He establishes a line that will be characterized by verse 16. This will be a line, an establishment of a line that is without God, that is out from the presence of God. There will be no need for God. No, sir, I'm free from God. And he has a burning passion, and this is what we see in Cain. Cain has a burning passion to prove something. A great experiment Cain wants to go on. Cain is bound and determined to prove he can accomplish without God. He wants to prove he can have a great life without God. He wants to prove he can be very productive. He can be creative and satisfied without God. He wants to prove he can be happy and experience pleasure without God. 
And so that phrase, he went out from the presence of the Lord, that's like you could hang that as a sign over Cain's house. You know, not as for me and my house we shall serve the Lord, but instead I went out from the presence of the Lord. In other words, without God. And what I just described today is a description of many, many people today. They've had enough of God when they were young, enough of religion, and now they want to embark on a great experience. They've been told, you know, trust and obey, and and there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, and now they're going to say, I'll prove it wrong. And that's what they're doing. And they're in a great experiment. I went to high school in Switzerland in the mid-60s. I was lost. I was as far away from as I came, far away from God as I could be. I had a life without God, a Cain life. I returned to the States, was saved in 1970, started a new life with God. And then in 1982, went back to Europe, get business. So I returned to Europe, spent almost sometimes two months a year in Western Europe. And I viewed my being there as being sent by God to bring them the knowledge of salvation, knowledge of God to the Europeans. It's kind of difficult to explain because the difference between the U.S. and Europe when it comes to real heart relationship Knowledge of God, it's kind of like this. When I would tell European businessmen that I was a committed follower of the living Lord Jesus Christ, they sincerely did something that never have happened to me before. They sincerely looked me straight in the eye and they recommended that I must see a therapist. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I know, it's funny. It was very serious. They were dead serious, they weren't joking. And it was so frightful, and I told my wife, you know, I feel like I'm getting frostbite on my soul over here. Because from country to country in Europe, I found people who had embarked for a long time and through many generations on the great experiment. And they had built friendships without God and marriages without God and families without God, and businesses without God, and cities without God, and cultures without God, and whole countries without God. They had religion. They had religion. I'm not talking about that. And so here goes Cain, starting off the great experiment to do all of that. And that's the direction of the seed of the devil. It's life without God. After all, the devil would reason, hell is a place where God's not there, so let's just see how it can be okay. It can be fine. Don't talk about the fire and brimstone part, but we can live fine without God. And so Cain goes out from the presence of God and he begins to build. And when he goes out, as soon as he leaves, he goes and he lives in a land called Nod. The land Nod has a root of meaning wander, wander, or you could say exile. It's the exile from God. And what does Cain do in his wandering lost state of being an exile from God? Verse 17, he knows his wife and she conceives and bears Enoch. And Enoch builds a city, calls the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Enoch means uh, devoted, means initiated. There's nothing wrong with the name Enoch. We're going to find another Enoch later on. The only thing is, it's just what are you devoted to? This Enoch we're going to find later on is going to walk with God. But Cain's putting this Enoch to work, and they build their city without God. And then he names the city, not after anything to do with God, but after his son. And so he says, you'd be devoted to building this city without God. And then we see Enoch has a son, Ered. Ered means fugitive, similar to the judgment that was placed on Cain. This one says, brands him with the name of the judgment that was put on him. Says, I don't care about it. We'll just name him whatever we want. Ered has a son named Mahujel. Mahujel means 
it's an old root, but it could mean struck down or erased by God. And so he's identifying his son as an enemy of God. And then the next one, Mahuseel, could mean like an adult person or an extension of God, or as a man who's been made strong by God. And Mahuseel begets Lamech, and the, that's not clear what his name means, but he takes to him two wives. The name of the one, verse 19, is Ada, and the name of the other is Zilha. And he begins polygamy. Here we go, starts polygamy. Monogamy was God's design. But here's the first polygamist. He's in the seat of Cain. Polygamy in the Bible is never associated with a happy home. If you don't believe it, look carefully into the most dysfunctional family in all of Genesis, the home of Jacob, where we'll come to. Polygamy. You see polygamy? You'll find trouble. He takes two wives. Ada, and this refers to ornament or decoration. So this is a woman who has a lot of emphasis on her outward fashion, on her ornaments. She was fashionable. Zilla. Zilla means, it comes from shade, and maybe you think of her as a shadowy person. Verse 20, Ada bears Jabel, and he was a father of such as dwell in tents and have cattle. So Jabel means stream or someone who is traveling like a stream. And so here he's traveling around in his tents, and he's a cattleman. And then he has another brother that actually means the same thing, Jubal. But he is the father of all that handle the harp and the organ. So he's also traveling, but he is like a traveling musician. Maybe he's like the Jewish Kletzmer bands in Eastern Europe. He's a traveling musician. And in verse 22, we have Tubal came, and he's the worker of the brass and the iron. So he put those two names together. And so he starts to make swords and spears and weapons. He's a weapons maker. And the sister of Tubal Cain, the only descendant woman of Cain, the descendant of Cain, is mentioned as Naama. Naama means pleasurable or agreeable, as it could mean beautiful. So the only woman, she's outwardly beautiful. So here we have the family of Cain without God. And they're all gathered around here. It's like a big reunion. Men of accomplishment, strength, builders of cities. And uh, they kind of look more like America's most wanted list. But there they are. Enoch, the devoted city builder. And there's Ari, the fugitive. And Mahujel, the raced by God. And Ada, the decorated, fashionable woman. And, the, and Zilha, the shadowy woman. And the Jabel, the traveling cattleman. And Jubal, the traveling musician. And then Tubal came the weapon maker, Naama, the beautiful woman. And who speaks for the whole group here? Stand up one Lamech, verse 23 to 24. And we end the line here with the spokesman. And he stands up and he addresses his two wives, Ada and Zilha, and he says, listen to me, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. He's very self-centered. He said, and he brags about killing a man. I have slain a man. To my wounding, and not just one man, he says, and a young boy also to my hurt. And then he brags and says, so if Cain, my father, the murderer, he's going to be avenged 70 times, I'll be 77 times. And that's what he's proud about. He's not ashamed of being a murderer. He's proud of it. And he wants everyone to hear about it. He's a murderer. And that's the line of Cain. And Adam and Eve are watching all this. And they put their head in their hands and they say, oi, what did we do? Cain has been successful at establishing this lineage without God. And everything is operating without God. And this is very disturbing. And this disturbs us today, too. And it disturbs us. Why do we see very successful people, even billionaires, seeming to give to every cause that's against God? Why do we see this? People who are so talented, so created, so good business people, without God, and promoting causes, like there are missionaries that are anti-God. Why do we see that? 
And that's very, very disturbing. But we'll pick this up next week as we continue. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our God. Lord, the good news that we've read today, you made a way for us to cross back over the line. Thank you for that. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would remain uncontaminated and please you, Lord, from the ways of this world we've been reading about. Help us to stand for you, to stand with the simple words, with God. We thank you for hearing us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Another challenging and convicting message from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God, teaching us how a life without God is not successful. And that was what Cain attempted to do. Great teaching here. And if you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program with Tom Cantor, we need your support monthly or one time by calling us at 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. If you enjoy the Friendship with God radio program, And any donation of $10 or more, we will send you these two great resources from Tom Cantor, our Jewish born-again Bible-believing teacher here on Friendship with God. His two writings on how a Jew learned the true meaning of Christmas, a great gift to give out to anybody, Jew or Gentile, at Christmas or Hanukkah time. And also, how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, a great account of his personal testimony and struggle to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, two great resources from Tom Cantor. Any donation of $10 or more, we'll send these to you for your support of the Friendship with God radio program. So call us at 800 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. And remember, Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries has free gifts to give to lost Jewish friends or people that you know or even Israelis that are in the mall selling gifts at Christmas and Hanukkah time that you run into. So if you know of a lost Jewish person or Israeli working in a mall and you need a gospel gift to give to them, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or we have an online form at friendshipwithgod.org that you can fill out. Friendshipwithgod.org for more information or to donate and support this Bible teaching radio program. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God.